Hey there, thanks for visiting the podcast of the Guelph Vineyard Church. If you haven't already, please subscribe to our podcast using whatever platform you listen on, or visit our website at guelphvineyard.com. Here's this week's message brought to you by Vineyard Ontario Regional Leader, Wayne McQueen. So, I'd like you, if you have a Bible with you, um, I didn't bring a Bible on PowerPoint this morning, so I'm, I'm hoping have something if you want to follow along. I'm going to, I'm going to have us uh, look at uh, Acts chapter 13. And what I'll do is I'll, uh, it'll just be good context for the one particular verse I want to speak into this morning. So I'm just going to take us a walk through that entire chapter. And then there's, uh, I believe this is something that um, um, is very much part of uh, the trajectory that Chris has uh, launched a few weeks back. So in Acts 13, it begins, I'll just read a few verses here, there in the church in Antioch, prophets and teachers, and then by name Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, They went down to Cilicia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And just a a comment there, John is in reference to John Mark, who later gave us uh, the Gospel of Mark. So if you were to continue reading there, I'll just kind of highlight the next little bit. you see that the next thing that happens is, I'll just call the divine appointment, um, in that the Roman governor, or the proconsul, uh, heard about this message they were bringing and asked, would you please come and, and, and tell me this message? And so they, they present, they being Barnabas and Saul, begin to explain, present the gospel. But there was this nuisance person there, a magician who was creating quite a, a fuss and distraction and whatnot. And then we see this power encounter. And uh, it's interesting, this is now when we flip from Saul to Paul. Paul rebukes this magician and there's this display of kingdom power and he suddenly goes blind and the proconsul who was interested in this gospel message, is so impacted between the proclamation and the demonstration of the kingdom, he believes. As they say, that was a good day. And then, what happens, I just come back to this point, this is, Luke is a master at writing, and so his his literary emphasis here, is just something to take note of, is that, from this point on, we hear about Paul, never referred to as Saul again. So something happened here, and also you'll note that from this point on, it's no longer Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. It's Paul and his companions who included Barnabas. So something shifted here. And I'll, I'll come back to that um, a little bit later. 
So anyways, the now continues, uh, they continue to a place called Perga and Pamphylia, and it's, I'll try to be real brief here, there's a number of routes they could have taken there, but they chose one that was notoriously dangerous. The place where they're going to is very prosperous, very rich, and they're going from the port inland about 20 kilometers, and this place was riddled with uh, piracy, and it was just a dangerous route to take, and for whatever reason, I won't get into, they took that route, and maybe this is part of behind John Mark saying, I'm out of here, and goes back to Jerusalem at this point. And uh, so anyways, to continue the story, Paul and Barnabas, they reached their destination, and they attended, uh, attend a synagogue, and in the synagogue, they're asked, do you have a word? Well, Paul gets up and he begins to proclaim the gospel to the, the Jews, as well as Gentile believers, and talks about in there, and he traces the story, it starts with the... Um, the um, slavery times of Egypt and the Exodus, and it just begins to trace through the the Old Testament. It's just a great study, a great read, and a proclamation of the gospel. Just really continuing the covenant story of God, and he traces it right through to Jesus, his death, his uh, resurrection, and proclaiming the gospel, and then. I'm just going to pick it up at the end of that message. I'm going to jump back into reading the text here in verse 42. That as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them again the next Sabbath. So obviously they were preaching good news. Someone begged you, would you please come back and continue this? I just want to hear more. And then after the meeting of the synagogue, after it came to an end, broke up the many Jews and devout converts to Judaism, followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And then the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. So picture that. This is what we might call a revival. Something with you know, so when we talk about the book of Acts, really we're not talking about the Acts of the Apostles, although it's often referred to that. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is very active in this setting. So it's pretty exciting, and I'll just kind of wrap it up by saying, if you were to finish off that chapter, you're going to find that suddenly the religious leaders start to get really jealous, and they begin to stir up people to begin persecuting uh, Paul and Barnabas, and Paul later refers to this uh, is places where he was whipped. I mean, so there was lots of stuff. And they eventually, they left town. I mean, they just wiped the dust off their sandals and left and said, okay, I leave you all in the hands of God. But there were many disciples who remained and says they were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So there's a tour through, the, through chapter 13. But what I want to come back to and drill into this morning is in verse 43, where at the end of that, that meeting when they were preaching in the synagogue, there was many began to follow um, Barnabas and Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke to them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. And specifically in that, just, I just want us to think about what, this word urge. Urging them. It's, um, it's a persuasive, it's exhortation, it's, it's convincing argument, it's just laying it out encouraging them, urging them to continue to walk in the grace of God, meaning place your full, entire confidence in the goodness of God. And so today, we're proclaiming the good news that the way in is the way on. 
The way in is the way on. And I want us to ponder this question. Why do we need to be urged to, or exhorted, or persuaded to continue in the grace of God? Why is it necessary for us to need encouragement to live, to continue to live in the grace when we consider God's grace as being God's intense longing and God's passionate invitation to a deeper relationship with Him. I mean, in the essence, that's what great grace is just God is continually wanting us to go deeper and deeper and deeper with Him. Why do we need to be urged to do that? And so that's what I want us to think about here this morning, to explore that as to the need to be urged not to forget that the way in is the way on. And I'm, so let me tell you a story. This is a story about a man who lived in a really comfortable home outside of a village. And he had a reputation as being a place of hospitality, a place of a welcome, especially to the stranger. And uh, so one day there was a knock on the door. It was early afternoon. And it was a stranger saying, I hear that this is a place I can find refuge for the night. Is there a room here? And he was warmly welcomed in into the home. And the owner of the home, uh, he prepared some tea and some biscuits. And they had this wonderful, engaging conversation. And the next thing, the owner realized, oh my gosh, it's near dinner. I apologize. Let me prepare a meal for you. And the guest says to him, he says, well, would you allow me the honor of uh, preparing a meal. This is something I love to do. It'd be just my way of thanking you. And the owner says, well, I don't have a whole lot here, but certainly you're welcome to it. He prepares this meal. And this meal, if you've ever seen the movie Babette's Feast, okay, or, um, okay, I'll go another route, Jamie Oliver or someone like that. I mean, we're talking about a chef, and, the, and this meal was succulent. It was delicious. It, the owner of the home says, I can't believe this. Is, listen, I'm hoping you're planning to stay for a while because you can prepare a meal anytime. This is awesome. And, and, the, and the stranger says, well, actually, that's great. I'd love to stay for quite a while. And the owner says, well, listen, my home is your home. And the stranger says, wonderful. Well, the next day, the owner of the home is in the village running some errands. And on the way home, he hears all this noise. And that is, it's like... That's a hammer. That's a power saw. That's like, what's going on? That's coming from my house. So he goes to the home, opens up the door, walks in. There's rubble all over the place. There's demolition going on. He walks in. There used to be a wall there. What's going on here? Well, it turns out the master chef is also a master renovator. He says, well, I thought you said your home is my home. And I, I just, I just, I'm doing a makeover. And now the owner of the home has a choice. Do I trust this stranger with the outcome of this renovation project? Or do I issue a cease and desist and take over and try to return this home to something I'm more familiar with? So just hold that as we think about grace. Grace. What is grace? So scripture, my favorite place to start with grace is Ephesians 2, where Paul writes that it is by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. 
It is a gift of God. It's not a result of works, so that no one can boast. I mean, isn't that such a radical understanding? It's just like, I don't... None of us do anything to deserve what we have. I mean, we don't compare at all. You did this, and oh, you must be at a higher level spiritual. No, this is a pure gift of God. No one can boast. This is, it's just, well, Paul, like, how can I add to the words of what Paul captures here? Grift is, grace is a wonderful gift of God. And it's commonly described as unmerited favor. But grace is more than this common definition of unmerited favor. It includes that. But there's much more to it than that. Grace is God's action in our lives to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. I'll just say that again. Grace is God's action in our lives so that we can accomplish more than we can accomplish on our own. 1 Corinthians 15 um, helps me with that understanding. It's by Paul again writing, It is by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So what Paul's talking about here is that, you know, the activity of, of God's actions in his life to accomplish more than he could possibly do on his own. Grace, as one writer, for me is very helpful in describing, grace is not opposed to effort. And if we have a wrong understanding of grace, we can become paralyzed by grace. So grace is not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, whereas effort is an action. And what Paul and Barnabas are, are doing here is they're urging the people who responded to God's grace for salvation to continue to live lives dependent upon grace. Some of us may have flown somewhere in a jet. So, and if not, maybe someday you will in the future. But just think as a jet goes down the runway, it is burning an enormous amount of fuel to get off the runway. And, and one way of thinking about grace and calling us is to burn grace in the way that a jetliner burns fuel to get off the runway. Like the way in is the way on, to lean heavily upon God's activity at work in our life. So, let's start to think about what does maybe all that mean? Let me start here. To live our life dependent upon God's grace, it brings about a couple of things. One, this might be where the encouragement part is needed, we soon experience that God, the lover of our soul, is also a ruckus-making God in our lives. Demolition is messy. It's noisy. It's inconvenient. Renovation is uncomfortable. I talked to Steph this morning. I said, so how are, how are you enjoying your renovation project? Well, I, I like it. But it's messy. It's inconvenient. It's just like, man, I just want my kitchen back. Right? 
And, and so if you're ever involved in a renovation project, which I'm assuming many of you have been, what keeps you from just saying, I'm done? It's the vision of what it'll be like when the job's done keeps you going through all the mess and all the all the noise and all the dust and everything that's really not all that comfortable, but the vision keeps you going to get the to get the job done. And so an area where God is active in my life, and maybe this relates to you too, is when he's tearing down the walls of pride and self-protection and judgment in my life. You know, the verses from James come and First Peter comes to mind is that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so that's an area where there's continuous, just continuous demolition going on in my own life. And so when we experience grace, we experience him as one who loves to prepare delectable, succulent meals for the soul. And without warning, we find that he's rather bold and forthright in creating a ruckus in our lives, doing a complete makeover. And it can be really confusing at times. Thus, we need to be strongly encouraged to continue in the grace of God. And the second thing, and I, and I just bet you Chris is going to land here in, in November, is that when we continue to live our lives in the grace of God, we will find ourselves naturally doing things that catch the attention of others around us, often causing them to ask questions. Continuing in the grace of God will provoke others around you to take notice and become curious. Why? Because we're no longer doing normal things that people do. They were walking by a different beat. Why? Because we're no longer doing the normal things we used to do. Providing we don't issue a cease and desist order. Because God is doing a renovation work in our hearts and changing things. And if we're willing to let Him continue His renovation project, you know where this is going. We're becoming more and more like who? Who are, become, who are we becoming more like? Jesus. Jesus. The, and Jesus was the master of provoking people around him with his words and actions, his responses, so that others around him would be taking notice and becoming curious. See, the way in is the way on. So I, I want to just, by, to help illustrate this, let's go back to Barnabas. Barnabas, along with Paul, was urging these people to continue in the grace of God. And Barnabas was very familiar, if you know a little bit of his story, a couple of chapters earlier, um, Barnabas was, and I'll, come, I'll unpack this a little bit more, but he, he came to uh, Antioch, to, to find out what was going on there because there was reports of, uh, of, of uh, God at work there. And, and Barnabas, we read in, in Acts 11, likewise encouraging them to continue in the grace of God. One translation has it. He, was, he encouraged them to continue to cling to the Lord with passionate hearts. And Barnabas, by the way, um, is not his real name. It's not the name that his mom and dad gave him at birth. His name was John. 
Barnabas was actually his nickname that was given to him by the apostles because of what they saw in him. It means son of encouragement, son of consolation. And the first time, just a little bit about Barnabas, the first time we see him in the Bible is in Acts chapter 4, and he was pointed out very specifically as a specific example of the many who sold everything they had and gave that to the poor and to the needy. And uh, he's an example of one who responded to God's grace in a way that, can I say, would bring all of us great discomfort. To sell everything you have and give everything to the poor and the needy and then trust God. I mean, we don't know much of the backstory, but I would love to hear the backstory because a person doesn't do that without some kind of a, some significant encounter with God and a surrender. Like there, there's a major exchange. So just that little story gives us a big picture of who this person was and what God was doing at that time. And also, it's interesting to think that that what was going on there in Barnabas, again, was an example of that, is that how this is different response to that of the rich young ruler that we read about in, in Luke 18, um, who was not able to do that, but in this case, Barnabas and others laid up their the treasure in heaven by responding to God's invitation to sell all you have and give it to the poor. Gives us a picture of, of something that was going on in the background with Barnabas. Who does something like that? No one, apart from God's activity in their life. This is an example of grace at work. So as you follow the stories of Barnabas, as recorded in Scripture, you soon begin to see his life mission on display. And I, I, I would suggest that Barnabas would say the reason he got out of bed in the morning was to do, to seek one thing. And, and I would think Barnabas would say, I seek out and assist others. He was an encourager, a son of consolation. The other thing that you notice is that Barnabas lived out his purpose in, in doing so. He, well, what you find there's always a ruckus going on around him. I mean, here's this encourager, and yet, and yet there's always this swirl of activity around that. So, and that's what's going to happen as we keep saying yes to his renovation project and enjoying his meals is that there's a transformation going on and something's going to start happening around us because of God working through us. So I want to give you some examples of that. Think about how he defended Paul's conversion. You know, like, in Acts 9, we read about this, the followers of Jesus were freaked out of this notion that this crazed persecutor of Christians was saying, I'm now your brother. I'm a follower of Jesus. And everyone going, yeah, I don't think so. It was Barnabas who discerned that this actually was a conversion, and he personally took Barnabas to the apostles in Jerusalem, putting his own reputation on the line and advocating for his, no, this is, this is true. This did happen. Barnabas was the one voice that advocated for Paul. I mean, talking about just laying it on the line. And then... Um, also, you can just see the measure of trust and favor in Barnabas because the, the apostles 
sent Barnabas to Antioch to find out what's going on. Here are these reports of the, the Gentiles coming to the Lord and being baptized and filled with the Spirit. Go check that out. And so Barnabas is sent there. And he begins to actually, ends up pastoring that church, but instead of building an empire, he realizes, I want help, and then he goes to find Saul, who's now in Tarsus, and I'll come back to that in a little bit, and recruits him and brings him back, so together they begin to work together with what God was doing in Antioch. And then, just one other example, there's a time when Paul disagreed with Barnabas' conviction to bring John Mark with him on a mission trip. And as a result, again, here we see Barnabas just holding fast to his convictions. He basically let Paul, well then you and Silas go. But I know I am to, I am to invest in this person, John Mark, who's like, no way I'm going to break John Mark. But Barnabas says, no, I have a conviction. I'm going to pour my life into him. There's so much about Barnabas that I admire. And I say it's his ethical attitude of listening, of testing what he hears, and then acting with courage and nobility. And you just see this consistent with all the texts that we find in the book of Acts around Barnabas. He was entirely devoted to people on the downside of life and faith. You know, consider how he helped Paul and how he helped John Mark. Could you imagine how much the New Testament would be missing? If Barnabas didn't be who he was to those people? So, apparently, Barnabas knew that failure has always been one of God's tools for training. But only if that failure is followed by perseverance and adjustments and a second chance, and to have someone come alongside and encourage them to continue in the grace of God. And so we need the Holy Spirit and we need brothers and sisters. We need families. And this is, this is the part of the body life of the church. We need to be, you know, I was just thinking with Allison was sharing song. We need encouragement. We need someone to sing our song. We need to, be, to continue in the grace of God. Now it's something we put on people, but it's coming alongside people. And I hear Barnabas continually encouraging and urging others around him to continue in God's grace. The way in is the way on. But what captures my heart maybe more than anything about Barnabas is this. The kingdom is not a machine that needs another cog. The kingdom is a body consisting of individuals who have a name and a story. Paul, or rather Barnabas, saw and knew that he saw people and he was able to see something in people and and so he saw it was you know it wasn't about we got much to do. It's like who do I who do I come alongside? Who do I encourage? Who do I strengthen? Remember Paul, he went to Tarsus discouraged after his early experiences as a Christian. I think it was three years off of tent making. It was Barnabas who sought him out. John Mark returning to Jerusalem in disgrace by bailing out. Needing a brother to seek him out, to believe in him, and to, and to exhort him to continue in the grace of God. 
See, a Barnabas style of devotion and love is looking for those who are down and commits to the rebuilding of their faith and their usefulness. And Barnabas experienced that and he understood that this idea of the way in is the way on. How does this fit into that of a ruckus making God? We can be some we can be so confused by God, I don't understand. I mean and we have this voice, we have this person that comes alongside and and just brings the encouragement we need, a prophetic word, uh, a word of, like, just a word from God. My own, a little bit of my own story in the context of all this, my earliest encounter with a ruckus making God occurred during an amazing season for me of experiencing the goodness of God's grace. You know, the, um, the chef preparing beautiful meals for my soul. Um, it was during a time for me of uh, an outpouring of God's um, Spirit, His presence, in one of those early um, vineyard uh, family camp experiences up in Stainer. I don't know if any of you were ever involved in that season, but it was during that season that I just really met God, if you will, in one of those. And I found myself praying these prayers. I know it wasn't logical thinking because I wouldn't logically do this, but I just like responded to God. God, right now, I give you my reputation. Oh man, has he ever honored that prayer? Because from then, I had no idea how he was going to do that again and again, humbling me before others, tearing down walls. Man, did I ever, that prayer ever give him permission to do some renovation work in my life? And he's still continuing to do it. Midst of numerous pride-shattering events, and I won't spend time, no, I won't spend time telling you many of those stories, just simply to say, it was embarrassing for me. But it was good. And here's why it was good, and why I, where I am right now, is that I had Barnabas kinds of people around me. No way I could have got through on my own what I went through with others who encouraged me not to give up, but to continue in the grace of God. And because of what took place through many encouragers in my life, most and for me most notably as spiritual directors over the last 12 years, people that just really deeply listened and really helped me um, sort out questions I was having. I now find myself, and this is just, I find myself, without any more effort than earlier, I just find myself trusting God more and more in the minute details of life. Not because I'm any smarter, it's because of the fruit of, of God just doing what He's doing, and it ain't over yet. And now, like Barnabas, I find myself Really, my greatest satisfaction is coming alongside others who feel down and out. I just find, I just love doing that. Um, and giving them the gift of God's presence through me as I learn how to come alongside, as I learn how to listen, as I learn how to dust for the fingerprints of God in someone else's life. Helping as best as I can to encourage them to continue in the grace of God. 
The way in is the way on. God's, you know, grace is God's invitation that we enter into a new life. Adrian, let me just ah, hit pause. I hope I'm not putting you on the spot too much. But what do you mean by the way in? The way in. Ephesians 2. You know, it's a gift of God. We come into the kingdom of God. And then we are not to switch over to, as the Galatians got in trouble doing, they switched over to works. And Paul said, have you lost your mind? Continue in the grace of God. Be dependent upon Him. Does that, does that, confuse, or, does that confuse or help? But the, but the way ends when we come into relationship with God, not because of something we've done. And then we just continue to live out our lives in such a way that we're somehow, we're not trying to point, look what I've done, but putting on display Jesus through our actions and just trusting in Him. And people say, that was awesome. You're thinking, what was awesome? Well, that's just Jesus working through you. And so it's just living... I think Barnabas wasn't a, he doesn't strike me as a type A personality kind, but there's something about the charism of the Holy Spirit working through the life of Barnabas that I think it just, it was creating a ruckus all over the place. But he had deep convictions as to, you know, people say, no, and he would say, yeah, I see something in that person. So there's something, there's, I don't know how all that works out, but, there, but it's the grace of God. It's the activity of God in our life to do things that, we know it's impossible for us to do on our own strength and smarts. I'm looking at Adrian, but I think that was just trying to okay, this phrase, the way in, the way on. Um, maybe it's in scripture somewhere. I hope it is. I hope it's resonating with scripture. <laughs> Didn't put it that way. But I think Galatians is a good study as to what happens if we don't get it. Right? We have to be careful of those voices that got a hold of the Galatians to go down another road. It's like, okay, no, you need to, now that you're in the kingdom, you need to, you know, you need to do this and do, you know, the shits and the shouldn'ts and so on and so forth. Um, let me, so here's the wrap up. We're going to go into ministry. What others have found really helpful as a prayer practice that I'm benefiting from, I want to teach to you this morning. And this is, you know, we've talked about some ideas, but how do we, how, what might be something we can do to participate with God in all of this? And so I'm just going to give some instruction to you to teach you something. Uh, I have been finding great benefit to it. I find myself prone to anxiety and worry, and this is a way it just kind of settles it so quickly. And so this is a, like a two-minute prayer that you can do anytime through the day. You might want to try this out for the next few days and see if it works for you. And it's really easy to remember because you learned this, these four words I'm going to give you as a child, and likely if you're a parent, you use these same four words with your own children when you're out for a walk in the neighborhood and you're about to cross the street, and the four words are stop, look, listen, then go. And so that's just a, a memory cue as to how this works. So let me teach you how this works. Stop. So here's how you stop. 
You can do this anytime, anywhere, except when you're driving. <laughs> because I'm, here's how you stop. Close your eyes. Okay? Just close your eyes. And just hear the Lord ask you this one simple question in a very personal way. Where are you right now? So for me, it would be, Wayne, close your eyes. Where are you right now? So just hear the Lord ask you that. Where are you right now? Now here's how you answer that question. Open your eyes. Look. Just begin to look around. Observe. Observe, and then not only through your eyes, but, but incorporate all of your senses. This is a beautiful thing to do in your for a walk. Just, just begin to observe. All of a sudden you start noticing things you weren't noticing because you were preoccupied somewhere else. So this just centers you. So use all of your senses, but even now, just begin to, what's the temperature of the room? You know, just observe through all of your senses. Your, so your eyes, smell, hearing, what do you hear? Right? Taste. I taste that coffee. Right? But it's a way of just dialing in. And this is only meant to take just a, a few seconds. So we stop, we look, and then we listen. Father, and what you may get, a, whether you hear or sense in your heart, but something just resonates, just allow space for that. And even if it's just quiet, maybe the Lord just wants you to experience quiet. It's okay. It might be just a place of gratitude rises up in your heart. For, you know, it might be, um, you know what, when was the last time you sat and looked into the eyes of your child? Why don't you go and do that right now? You know, or it might be just very nice, like, you know, Rita next door, she's, you know, she's lonely, she likes to drink tea, why don't you go over and knock on the door and go over for a cup of tea and listen to her story? Like, just something, just allow for a sense of something, and then first to go is to respond. So how this can work for us this morning for ministry, we'll just do it again. Just slow it down, just stop, look, listen, and respond. And so how we respond is we just may have a sense to sit, enjoy the presence of God, or to move towards someone to speak a blessing. Because this morning, I think the purpose of preaching is to end this place of, God, what are you saying to us this morning? So why don't we just create space to hear that?